Well, good morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to be finishing out our series in the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews 13, a book that we've spent about three months in, wrapping it up this morning. Hebrews 13. Uh, If you're picking up Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 1. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 1. As you guys are turning there, let me uh, go ahead and remind you guys a couple of quick announcements. For you guys who are graduating, we have something brand new that we've never had before for any outgoing class of seniors. We just launched last Friday something we call our Grace Alumni Network. So uh, for you guys who are graduating seniors taking off uh, all over the course of the United States or maybe even abroad, heading up to a new city, what we've begun to do is create a, a bit of a network so that you guys can find some former Grace alumni who are already in the cities that you may be going to, plugged into churches that are there. And so if you have questions about those cities, want to help uh, have someone to help receive you and help connect you uh, to the city that you're heading, we now have a network that we've been established, have about 85 different alumni hosts that have said, hey, I would love to connect graduating seniors to where I am. And so I have a whole set of uh, events that are coming up for alumni. We have a whole bunch of resources for alumni and a network now that's created kind of a directory as well. And so we're really, really excited about that. That's simply at www.grace-bible.org slash alumni, all kinds of stuff that you guys can find there. We're really excited about that. I want to let you guys know as seniors who are taking off, if you simply register as alumni, you'll get to have access to all of that. So we are excited about that. But uh, for the rest of us, Hebrews 13, all right? Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews tells us that let love of the brethren continue. Uh, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are also in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have for he himself has said, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you so that we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Why don't you pray with me? Lord, as we open uh, chapter 13, and as very, frankly, as we get ready to close this book, I thank you for so many of the things you've taught us. I thank you that week after week, we've seen that Jesus is better. That no matter what it is in our lives, no matter the heroes that we might think of in our lives, that no one and nothing is better than your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for a semester and a book in which we've been able to see his incredible grandeur and his glory and his majesty. That there is no parallel, there is no other, there is no rival to him. And Father, as we wrap up the book this morning, Lord, I pray that you would allow this chapter and the truths that are in it, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you'd stretch us. I pray that you'd mess with us, uh, Lord, that you'd get in our grill, that you'd get in our hearts, Lord, and that you'd push against us and push us to some places that are uncomfortable, that you'd stretch us this morning, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son, by your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, Hebrews 13 and the verses I just read, I'll admit to you guys, are a little bit random. They're kind of all over the place. Uh, The theme that will kind of capture all of this is going to be that word that comes there, let love. That love will be the kind of the theme that kind of capsulates this chapter. In fact, if you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks, we actually have had chapters 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13 are kind of a a triple uh, kind of deal that goes together in which you have these three basic themes of faith, hope, and love. Those three basic virtues that go together in chapter 13 kind of climaxes us on this idea of love. And so as we jump into this idea of love, I'll tell you guys, I think we as a people, we as a culture, frankly, are obsessed to love and be loved. But by and large, we often don't know what love looks like and we don't know even what love does, even if it's staring us in the face. And to illustrate that for you guys, that love sometimes, even if it shows up in our living rooms, we can't identify it. I got an illustration for you guys, an interview that has been viewed by more than 
28 million people. Jimmy Fallon, Nicole I'm Kidman. I don't remember this, but we, we met before. Oh, I remember. <laughs> Do you remember this? It was really embarrassing for me. Yes. It was? Yeah. Do you want me to tell I have not seen you since then. I have not. Right? That is correct. No. But this is a years ago, and I... Do you want me to tell my version of the yeah, story? Yeah, you tell your version. <laughs> I'm walking down the street in New York City. Yeah. My friend Rick calls me and says, Dude, what are you doing? I go, I'm just walking down the street. He goes, uh, I have Nicole Kidman with me, and she wants to meet you for uh, maybe to be in Bewitched or something like that. So I go, what? Uh, okay. She goes, I can be in your apartment in like 10 minutes. I go, you're going to bring Nicole Kidman over to my apartment? I'm like... Okay, I don't know. What, what do I do? What do I have something? What do I do? He goes, I don't know. Just get some cheese and crackers or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, cheese and crackers? I don't even talk about that. I don't, I don't have dinner party. I don't have anyone over my house. I'm like, I have video yeah. games and sneakers. I mean, That's I really... Right. I was, so I go and I go, I, there's a deli. And I go in the deli. I go, what, what do you mean cheese? He goes, get brie or something. I go, brie? I don't even know what that is. I'm like, uh, so I go in. This is like, I'm on Saturday Night Live, I guess, or something. I don't remember really when it was. But I just remember I liked you, and he was like, not now. Um, <laughs> I'm married now. Um, but he was like, oh, well, you can meet. I mean, I don't. <laughs> what? Not that way. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? So he says... So Rick, our mutual friend, says, oh, yeah. you know, Jimmy wants to meet you and you can go over to his apartment and da-da-da-da. And I'm single and I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yes. Did I date Nicole Kidman? Sure. Did we so go, I go date? over, though, and you're there in a baseball cap and, like, nothing. Just like... <laughs> I had Greek and cheese. Like, and you wouldn't talk. You didn't say anything. You were like, hey. Mm, mm, mm. Did you? Mm, 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 right? I didn't yeah. say, I was very were, nervous. Mm, mm. I and say, I'm mm, like, mm. okay. I didn't know this was, so, a, uh, that this was a thing. I thought this was, was a like movie. It was like a hang. It was meant to just, I don't know. And then you put a video game on or something. And I'm like, this <laughs> is just so bad. <laughs> it was bad. All right. I don't know if any of you guys had seen that interview. It went viral when it first came out. And the irony, too, is, at least for Marcy and I's first date, I actually did involve video games at one point. So not a good idea, all right? So, uh, but I absolutely love that clip because Nicole Kidman apparently liked Jimmy Fallon and she shows up in his living room and he can't even see it whatsoever. has no idea what's going on. Absolutely is clueless. And so for you and I, we had a whole series on romance back in the fall. But for by and large, we usually can't, especially as guys, we cannot see romance, we cannot see love, even if it's staring us in the face and it shows up in our living room, right? That's not just for us guys, but by and large, not just romance, but love in itself. As much as we're obsessed with it, I want to submit to you guys this morning that we have no idea what it looks like or even what it does. Hebrews 13, a chapter that is all about love, is going to show us exactly what love looks like and exactly what love does. If you and I are ambiguous about what love looks like, if you and I don't grasp what love actually does, then we're going to have a really hard time receiving love. Or we're going to have a really hard time extending and giving love. And if we don't know how to receive love and if we don't know how to give love, and although we're desperate to get it and receive it and give it, we're going to be incredibly hurt. And so Hebrews 13 is an incredibly helpful chapter for us to get a better picture of exactly what love is and exactly what love does, which is where the chapter starts. Chapter 13, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews tells us, let love of the brethren continue. This is the theme of this chapter. 
in the midst of all the different random pieces of how love is going to manifest itself. But I want you guys to notice exactly who the writer of Hebrews calls his audience to love. Notice the scope of love here. Let love of the brethren continue. So the, the audience is called to love the brethren. Number verse two, notice who also they're called to love. Do not neglect to show uh, hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Their love is being manifested not just with the brethren, but even strangers. And even more, verse 3, remember the prisoners who, uh, as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated, that even those who are in prison, even those who are ill-treated are to be included in the scope of those that we as a church are called to love. But what does it look like to love this incredibly diverse scope? You get a series of verbs, action words in verses 1, 2, and 3 that are really, really interesting. Notice the text again. Let love of the brethren continue. Well, what does it look like if it were to continue? That's why he says in verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Uh, For by this some have entertained angels that to manifest and demonstrate love is included in that the idea of hospitality and even entertainment. Verse 3, remember the prisoners as though you were in, with, uh, in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are also in the body. That to manifest love simply means to remember someone, to be mindful of them. Uh, for us, as we think about love, I'm going to give you guys uh, kind of a sub-point here as to what I think love does. If there's a first thing that love does in a call to love, it's that it, it enables and it manifests itself in hospitality. When I say hospitality to you, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? For some of you ladies... Not you guys, but for some of you ladies, it's probably a Pinterest boards, right? Uh, you kind of go to Pinterest. Here's what it means to entertain. Here's what hospitality looks like. And it gets elevated to some level and some standard that you can't even come close to, right? So uh, last night, we're getting ready for our kid's birthday party. And we're on Pinterest looking at birthday party ideas, right? Pinterest has become the standard gold of what hospitality and entertainment looks like. The problem is for a lot of us, we don't have the budget to do that kind of level, right? So we have to be a little bit more realistic. But for a lot of us, as you think about hospitality, you don't necessarily think about it as a meaningful way of showing love. You may not even necessarily think about it as a meaningful way to do ministry or strategic way to impact the kingdom of darkness and invest in the kingdom of God. The hospitality, as the writer of Hebrews brings it out, it's not just about finger foods, it's not just about appetizers, it's not just about cute little platters, but it was a meaningful, significant way that ministry actually happened in the early church. Think about the fact that as we've been walking through this book, we have a group of people, we have an early church that's emerging and that's exploding on the scene that is under incredible persecution. That they're losing jobs, they're losing their possessions, they're, uh, they're not yet shedding blood, but they're at the risk of their own lives being threatened. And in this place in time, the writer of Hebrews says, here's what love looks like, hospitality. That you'd open up your home and that you'd let others in. Well, Why? Because for that audience, it would have been incredibly not just costly of whatever was provided to its guests, but to open up your home and to invite others in who were prisoners or who were suffering or who were being persecuted came at incredible cost and vulnerability to yourself. So the writer of Hebrews says, you and I are to love one another. He says, this was a critical way that they were to manifest their love. One writer named John Eliot in a book called A Home for the Homeless says this about hospitality in the early first century. That hospitality led to the sustenance of itinerant missionaries, the hosting of strangers, the care of the needy, and the assembling of worshipers. That hospitality was an absolutely essential way of life. Absolutely essential. That without it, the mission of the church would not have moved forward. The church would not have been established. The church would not have emerged in that culture at that day and time. Hospitality was absolutely essential. It wasn't just finger foods. It wasn't Pinterest boards. It was a way to preserve life and to protect the faith, establish it, and to see it grown. 
But by and large, we reduce hospitality now today to something that's just about finger foods and cute little precious progressive dinners, but it was absolutely vital then and it's vital now, although we've missed it. Uh, Shauna Nyquist in a book called Bread and Wine says this about hospitality. It's really interesting. Notice what she says specifically about hospitality as it relates to the table, the dinner table. She says this, that both the church and modern life together and separately have wandered away from the table. The church has preferred to live in the mind and the heart and the soul and almost not at all in fingers and mouths and senses. And modern life has pushed us into fake food and fast food and highly engineered food products cased in sterile packages that we eat in the car or on the subway as though we're astronauts, as though we can't be bothered with a meal. But many of the most sacred moments in my life, the ones in which I feel God's presence most profoundly, when I feel the goodness of the world most arrestingly, take place around the table. Something extraordinarily happens when we slow down, open up our homes, and look into one another's faces, and listen to one another's stories around the table. For you college students, I want to ask you guys a simple question. So you guys who have roommates, when was the last time you and your roommates slowed down enough to actually have a meal together at the table? Or is it an absolute act of Congress just to get schedules together so that you could actually be together for a meal in your own home with your own roommates, right? We just have a pace of life where we can't even connect with our roommates and we've drifted and we've missed the point of the significance of the table and of our homes at large. And we become like astronauts who are just eating on the go passing our roommates in the night and we never even see our own roommates and we've missed what i think is one of the most significant and strategic places of ministry and life to be intertwined and connected and that's the table marcy and i've been watching a tv show this spring that the uh, the opening scene in every episode of it is a family with multiple generations and every opening scene of this show every episode is of that family at a table enjoying a meal together that is the picture of family that is a picture of community that is a picture of people being brought into our lives and our lives mingling with one another and life and stories being shared. So you guys, uh, Marcy had an opportunity about a month ago. She connected with an international couple uh, at HEB, uh, kind of got to know them, invited them to an Easter party that we hosted at our house. They couldn't make that, and so we ended up having them over a couple weeks ago to our home, at our table, in our home for dinner. It was not a convenient week. <laughs> it was incredibly stressful. Our kids were everywhere and it was just in some ways a, a uncontrollable moment and in many ways as difficult as it was and in many ways as unperfect and unideal as that moment was here we were at the table getting to hear this couple's story uh, fresh from another country here i don't know they've ever been into an american home's ho- house and been at their table getting to hear their story and specifically for the husband who doesn't know god who doesn't believe in god and getting to hear the story of why and getting to hear what made them tick, getting to hear their passions, and all of a sudden life begins to be mingled together because we have people in our home and at our table. I want to ask you guys, students and even table hosts, if you were to walk up and down your street, how many of neighbors could you name them by name? For your, apartment stu- car, or for your students who are walking up and down flights of an apartment complex, walking right by uh, numbers on doors, how many of your neighbors do you actually know by name? How much have you actually stopped and realize that God's put you in a unique spot and one of the most strategic ministry platforms you have to share life and to build relationships is your home and it's your table and you've not stopped at all to know names or have anyone over. That one of the most significant platforms that you have, it is your home and it is your table. 
And why love manifested in self and hospitality is that love is meant to be an extension of God's provision to others. And what hospitality and what love looks like, is it a mobilization of your resources, what God has given you to be a steward of, and an extension of it to other people who may or may never return the favor, who may look at your gift and walk away, who may look at your movement toward them relationally and walk away. But that's what love does. That's what love looks like. It is hospitality on the move. It is an extension of your life and of your resources and of your home and of your table into other people's lives. For you, hospitality may not be the thing, which is why I love what he says in verse 3. Remember the prisoners. I want to challenge you this week, take an opportunity and extend hospitality to someone. Invite someone into your home. I realize the semester is not winding down. It is winding up as finals are approaching and you wonder what's going to happen to your life. There's no perfect moment. There's no perfect time. Your life is never in a perfect place where it's just easy to invite people in that are on the outside. But I want to challenge you this week, pray about asking the Lord to bring someone to your mind that you can bring into your life. You can put them at a table. Maybe it's not at your own table in your home. Maybe it's somewhere out at a restaurant where you could just find a moment to connect life with someone. If it's not over a meal, then another way to do it is simply by writing a letter. That's why he says, remember the prisoners. They would have gone to have to go visit them. Not just to visit, they maybe would have written a note. They would have had to express that that person was on their mind and their heart. Take a moment this week, slow down, either invite someone to a table or take time and actually write a note to someone. Express your appreciation, express your care, express your respect that someone else matters to you. That's what love looks like. That's what love does. It is a movement towards others and is an extension of God's provision in your life to someone else. But love doesn't just act in hospitality. Love also acts in another way. second way that we see love act is that it acts in purity, which is a completely different move, which is really interesting to me because here in verses 1, 2, and 3, you have this whole discussion of hospitality, some movement towards strangers and whatnot, and then all of a sudden he seems to take kind of a, an aside or a, a redirection, and all of a sudden he starts talking about marriage and the uh, marriage bed being undefiled. What in the world is going on here? How do we get from finger foods and hospitality and having people over at the table to the bedroom and sex? What's happening here? Well, the second thing that I think we see is that love manifests itself not just an extension of God's provision to others in hospitality, but love also manifests itself in purity when we wait, even when God's provision isn't necessarily what we've thought. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, sexually speaking, is that God has given you and I a desire for sex, but he says that you and I are to experience the satisfaction of that desire in the way that God has provided, and we don't move contrarily outside of the way that God provides. Hospitality is a movement and extension of his provision outward to others. Purity is a willingness to wait inside of the boundaries of his provision, content with his provision, and not moving outside of his provision to take what is not ours and what he's not given us. Love doesn't just move in hospitality. Love also waits in purity. It's not just sex. That's why he says in verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you. That it's not just sex, but it's also money. And when he says, don't, let your, don't have a love for money, don't have a movement of greed that is constantly moving beyond what God has provided, be content with what he's provided. Because if you're not content with what he's provided, you're going to reach out for something else that is not what he's provided. And you're going to reach out from one place of purity to one place of impurity when you take what he did not provide. Uh, this week, I've begun to wonder if this is the end of human history. 
The Bible talks about end times coming, horrible things happening. Bluebell was recalled and has shaken my life, okay? <laughs> Absolutely shaken my life. Um, I am an avid Bluebell fan, maybe like yourself, because you're Texan, right? You live in Texas. You love Bluebell ice cream like myself. We have a Bluebell stadium, which I don't know what they're serving baseball-wise right now, right? Bluebell's been recalled. It's not there in the stadium. It's not there at your beloved H-E-B. What do you do? I think it's a question of your love for Bluebell. You have two options, right? You can wait for Bluebell to be provided again, right? Or in the absence of Bluebell and your need for ice cream satisfaction, you can go and take other alternatives that are spawns and provisions of the devil, right? <laughs> Known as Blue Bunny. Like, who, why, right? Or his cousin, Creamy Creations, right? Which I know some of you love Creamy Creations. I might have had some last night. Nonetheless, breaks down my illustration. But here's the thing. When Bluebell has not been provided, this is the moment that your love for Bluebell can be seen by its purity and not taking something else that is outside of God's clearly heavenly provision of Bluebell, right? When he's not provided, do you wait in purity or do you move outside of that provision to some alternative like Blue Bunny, right? What is your Blue Bunny, right? I'm just kidding. Don't tweet that, all right? So... (laughs) But that's what love does, that even outside of God's provision, love waits. It waits within the context of his provision. That's why he highlights sex. That's why he highlights money. Different things that are clearly God's given desire that he's given to you and I. The question is, will you and I allow for the satisfaction of that desire within the boundaries of his provision, or do we get discontent with his provision and move outside of that? Incredible quote here about money. A man named David uh, McConoff says this in a book called Money, the Acid Test. Here's what he says about money. It's true of money, it's true of sex, it's true of most of these kinds of things. He says this, that money, most common of temporal things, involves uncommon and eternal consequences. Even though it may be done quite unconsciously, money molds men in the process of getting it, saving it, spending it, and giving it. Either the person becomes the master of the money or the money becomes the master of the person. Our Lord takes money as essential as it is to our common life and he makes it a touchstone to test our lives and an instrument to mold people into the likeness of himself. It's not random that the writer of Hebrews here in verses 4 and 5 touches on the topic of sex and money. There are a few things that drive our culture more than those two things. Sex and money. They're God-given normal desires to be satisfied that God has given you and wired you for. The question is, will you find yourself content with what he's provided you in your current reality and wait in purity in that reality? Or will you move outside of that provision to take what he's not provided in the ways that are beyond what he's done? Purity is waiting within the provision God has given you and being content with it. Impurity is moving beyond his provision to take something or someone different than he's provided at a time that's different than he provided it. That's all impurity is. Sin has been defined as taking a legitimate longing in an illegitimate direction. Purity is waiting within the boundaries of his provision within contentment and waiting. Impurity is an unwillingness to wait and a movement in discontentment outside of his, the boundaries of his provision to take what he did not provide when he did not provide it with whom he did not provide you. Where are you this morning in some of those things? Are you finding yourself in a season of life or in a stretch of life where there's something that your heart longs for and it wants and God has just clearly not provided it yet? What do you do in that place? Are you willing to wait in purity 
trusting that what he has provided is enough for you? Or do you move beyond that to take something that he's not provided? It's really interesting here as this section ends because he says in verse 5, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. How do you get from sex and money to God's promise to never desert us or forsake us? What's happening here? I think what's happening here is that when you and I move from purity to impurity, the issue is one of contentment. That what God has provided, we don't think is enough. And so we take something that he's not provided, and we therefore move from purity to impurity. And when we do that, here's what we also do in our own walk with the Lord. We begin to say in our actions that what matters most to us is not the presence of God, but it's the provision of God. And all of a sudden, his provision and his hand become primary over his face and his presence. And specifically, not just his provision, but his provision in a certain way, in a certain time, in a certain person that we want. And all of a sudden, what was meant to be secondary becomes primary. And all of a sudden, his provision becomes primary and his presence becomes secondary. Which is why the writer of Hebrews, he goes, no, no, no. Realize that he, despite his provision, despite your circumstances, he will never desert you, nor will he ever forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid, even when his provision seems to me to be not enough. I remember that his presence is enough, that he is enough for me. And whatever it is, desire that seems unfulfilled or unmet in my life. It's really interesting. I I think as you think about that this week, I I want to challenge you to to take the area in your life that you feel like, "Mm, don't feel satisfied with what God has provided me. What is that area? What is that issue for you? Maybe it's something sexual. Maybe it's something relational. Maybe it's something financial. Maybe it's even something academic. I want to challenge you in that discontentment, in that area where you feel there's just an unmet desire, I want to challenge you this week to take some time and simply to stop and worship him even in that disappointment. To actually stop and go, Lord, I know who you are, and even in the midst of my disappointment, I want to recognize that you are sufficient for me. You are enough. That my love for you is going to be seen in my purity because I wait here trusting that you are enough even in the midst of my own unmet desires and my own, met, uh, my own unmet needs. The second thing is in the midst of that place that you wait and you wait in purity. Trusting that God has something even better for you if you'll just wait and you'll trust him. Every time we go outside of the boundaries of his provision and we take what he has not given at a time that he did not give it, we move from purity to impurity, and the results are always going to be further destabilizing in discontentment. <laughs> when we take the lie of sin, that sin can provide us something that God hasn't, we always land contrarily to what sin promised us. Which is why as we think about this issue of hospitality, as we think about the issue of purity for every single one of us, whether we know Jesus Christ or not, we all can recognize there's something <laughs> broken in our life. We don't naturally move towards others with hospitality. We don't naturally wait in purity. We always do the opposite, it seems like. We hoard what he's given, and we find ourselves discontent with it and want to take something else than what he provided us. And so what do we do with that? I think one of the encouragements for us, whether we know Jesus Christ or not, is that it is what Jesus Christ did on our behalf that provides us an incredible example of what hospitality and what purity look like that Jesus Christ would take on human flesh in his incarnation in the greatest act of hospitality that we would ever see. (laughs) And that on his death, on a cross, in his crucifixion, we would see the greatest act of purity we would ever see. That Jesus Christ willingly took what God provided in which the Father called him to the cross to suffer on the behalf of all of humanity. 
to be forsaken from the Father, suffering one of the greatest things that we could ever imagine. Why? For us. So that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could find forgiveness and eternal life. And if you're here this morning, you've never made that decision. That's the most important decision you could ever make. What do you do with Jesus Christ? His lifestyle is not just a model of love and hospitality and purity, but it's a pathway to salvation. And if you know him this morning, then let me remind you, his death was for forgiveness so that you would, in the midst of your own failures, in the midst of your own inadequacies, not be buried alive by that guilt. But you'd see that in his hospitality and in his own purity, he forgives and he's gracious and we'd be drawn back towards him, trusting that he's good, trusting that he's kind, trusting that he has our best interests in mind, even when the circumstances don't look that way. The greatest act of hospitality, the greatest act of purity secured our salvation. We've never seen hospitality like it. We've never seen purity like it. It beckons us forward to know him and to walk with him and to walk like him. Let me pray for us. Lord, I come before you this morning and we recognize, I recognize, Lord, my internal disposition is not to extend myself to others. It's to protect, it's to hoard, uh, and it's to seek self-preservation and self-advancement. Lord, my, my natural inclination is to not be content with what you provided, but to want something else, to think there's something better out there. Father, I pray this morning that you would allow us, as we look at Hebrews 13, to be reminded, Lord, that there is nothing better than what you've provided. That you provide the best. And that the best provision you could ever provide even more is your presence. That you will not forsake us, you will not desert us. That even in the places of our discontentment, even in the places of our greatest unmet satisfactions, Lord, in that place we're reminded that your presence is enough that you love us, that you care for us, and what you've made us for, what we desire most is not provision, it's not a thing, it's a person. It's to love and be loved, and the greatest love that we could ever experience is through the person of Jesus Christ. That no human relationship will ever touch that. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would allow us to find a security in you, in the hospitality and the purity that you have demonstrated, and that it would call us forward to beckon us to live in a similar kind of way. As Paul would say, that the love of Christ would compel us outward. Lord, allow us to live in a purely conceptually different kind of way. Allow us to walk in a way that is so uncommon in our world, so uncommon in our society. Lord, allow our homes, allow our tables to be places where lives are intermingled, where outsiders are brought in, where life is shared, where walls are broken down. Lord, allow us to be those kinds of people who extend your provision to others, And in the midst of our own disappointment with your provision, who wait in purity, trusting your plan, trusting your person, trusting what you want to do in our lives, Lord. Lord, we love you. We ask for these things this morning through your Son, by your Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, the rest of the morning is yours at tables. Y'all have a great discussion.